This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Arun Matthews, who's the Chief Medical Officer at Multicare Auburn and Covington Medical Centers. Dr. Matthews, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare and, you know, things are changing really quickly. But before we dive into my broader questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure, sure. So, um, uh, born in South India, raised in parts of Africa, the Middle East, London, uh, went to high school um, in the Middle East and took the International Baccalaureate Program, which allowed me to apply to medical schools directly um, from high school uh, in Europe. And, um, uh, and I actually got into the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin, Ireland. That's where I went to medical school. Um, jumped over to do residency training in internal medicine in Baltimore. Um, started off at the Good Samaritan Hospital with MedStar, um, and then um, following following completion of uh, internal medicine training, um, hopped over to Hopkins to do a research fellowship in clinical informatics. Um, and that's happened that happened to be in Baltimore where I met my wife. And uh, because we were both foreign medical grads, we actually. Um, jumped over to New Mexico to do our J-1 waiver uh, work, and that's uh, where I uh, headed up a hospitalist practice um, for a group called Apogee Physicians. Um, uh, then, uh, after getting our green cards, moved over to Texas, and uh, during that time is when um, uh, the chief executive officer and chief information officer found out a little bit about my background in clinical informatics. And this was right around the time um, uh, CIOs were starting to be haunted by this thing called the High Tech Act and meaningful use stage one and stage two. And so I, I distinctly recall being invited to a meeting and asked if I had any interest in, in being yelled at by my physician colleagues. And so uh, being a glutton for punishment, I said, sure, why not? And uh, took on the role of a part-time uh, chief medical information officer, helped manage uh, two system-wide transitions from uh, first from a paper medical record to an electronic me medical record, and then from one type of EMR to another. Um, at around that time, our chief medical officer um, had retired, and I took on um, uh, a lot of his responsibilities, um, and so took on kind of this hybrid CMO, CMIO type role, and um, uh, looked for opportunities around the country um, that looked interesting, and uh, ended up in the Pacific Northwest working as a regional chief medical officer um, that maintains a healthy interest in, uh, in informatics and, uh, and technology. So that's, that's kind of the story so far. Well, that's amazing to hear. And what a great career journey. I can imagine, you know, having that informatics background and that ability to understand and connect both sides of the medical side as well as IT, um, you know, has really been beneficial in the last few years. And I'm wondering, too, what are some of the big issues that you're following in healthcare right now, especially with that lean and um, the leadership position that you have? Oh, gosh, I, I love that question because, you know, in very much 
I would say the things that I've been interested in tracking um, have to do um, existentially with the nature of, uh, of healthcare work itself. So I'm fascinated with how technology intermingles, um, you know, more often than not makes life a little bit better, but then we have to fully acknowledge that the technology can have the potential to, to, to create different or new types of errors in the way that we take care of patients. And so finding that balance so that we get all of the benefits from, from things like electronic medical records and advanced clinical decision support systems, but we also recognize that at the center of this equation is uh, a physician and their patient and a healthcare team um, and, and really working hard to keep the patient out in front. So I'm really interested in what the future of healthcare work looks like with the application of things like artificial intelligence, remote patient monitoring, virtual and or remote healthcare, and, and really empowering the patient to be a strong and active partner in, in, the, uh, in the relationship that is healthcare. That's great to hear. And, you know, certainly having that um, team approach and more collaboration, it seems like a lot of um, healthcare organizations are trying to move in that direction. What has been really successful for you as you're, you're looking at that space and being able to um, really get technology to the point where it's beneficial supporting the clinical care providers as well as leading to better outcomes with patients? Oh gosh, that's such a um, that's that's a broad question. But I, let me zero in on let's say an example of um, uh, of activating what I call the full stack of of healthcare, and that has to do with a um, uh, advanced clinical decision support tool that we started implementing here at Multicare about two years ago, and um, it essentially. Um, uh, sends up a, an alert for opportunities around clinical stewardship. Um, and now when I think of clinical stewardship, automatically I think the, the equation automatically goes to, um, you know, dollars and cents. And while that's important, um, what, I, what I appreciated about this company is that it's physician-founded and uh, very much focused on um, things like the uh, American Board of Internal Medicine Choosing Wisely campaign, so that it, it really gets to a reduction of waste and unnecessary tests um, and treatments in healthcare. And so an example might be a patient um, uh, comes in NPO for an acute appendicitis, but has, let's say, a low magnesium. And oftentimes teams will place, will replete the patient's magnesium with IV magnesium, Patient undergoes surgery, everything's great, they're able to use their gut now, their PO again, and um, oftentimes the rounding team may forget that uh, they can actually switch over their IV magnesium repletions over to oral magnesium repletions, and there's a, there's a cost delta there. And so um, uh, this tool kind of scans the MAR and uh, assesses the record and, and then throws up a little reminder saying, hey, by the way, your patient switched over to PO would you consider switching over to um, an oral magnesium repletion? And by doing those sort of gentle nudges and those, those practice changes, um, uh, uh, which I believe are actually examples of good medicine that reduce waste, you can actually build up a total cost of care reduction that in this world of high deductible buyout plans um, uh, can actually translate into savings for not only the hospital, the healthcare system, 
um, but also the patient and, and plans. And so I, I consider that to be what the true uh, meaning of clinical stewardship is, practicing good medicine that reduces waste that, um, that ultimately results in a reduce, reduced total cost of care, but maintaining high-quality medicine. And so um, we, we implemented that and were, were shocked by the fact that um, uh, the physicians are very much aligned in wanting to practice um, great medicine, but also in a cost-conscientious manner. And so we, we, we've already started to see through that implementation and um, the development of um, uh, a shared savings model um, that we think is pretty innovative and are actually working on a, um, on a, on a paper around uh, what that looks like. Um, that's actually resulted in a true movement of the needle um, regarding uh, the top, uh, I think it's like 15 DRGs that, that we're actively tracking. And so um, I love stories like that, which to me get to um, fundamentally that, that quadruple aim, which is you know improving care, um, improving the patient experience by way of reduced potential bills, as well as getting to um, bending the uh, uh, cost of care um, while, uh, you know, potentially uh, removing some of the cognitive load for physicians while they practice in day in and day out. And being a hospitalist myself, I certainly know just, uh, just I know about the dangers of alert fatigue. And so we, we really were thoughtful about which alerts we wanted to um, uh, have the physicians um, be made aware of um, in their day-to-day. -day. So um, that to me is an example of, uh, of all the stakeholders coming together, the technologists, the physicians, and the healthcare administrators to, to really get to, I think, a better uh, style of practice. So um, that'd be an example. Well, that's great to hear and a very powerful example. Thank you so much for walking us through that. Now, I'm wondering if you could talk about some things you're excited about and what makes you nervous. Sure, sure. Um, you know, if I'm honest with you, the thing that uh, that I'm very excited about is is the application of large language models and quote unquote AI um, uh, to to the actual work of clinical care. But I'm also very nervous about it, and and in fact, I could possibly describe myself as a bit of a decelerationist because I I while I'm so excited about the promise of what, um, you know, broad strokes, sort of analysis of the chart and large language models getting into, you know, what's going on with differential diagnoses and management strategies and, and helping physicians and APPs stay on top of, you know, the, the, the uh, tidal wave of, of clinical trial data that comes in and, and should be a, adjusting their clinical practice around. I, I'm very, very bullish on all of those things, but I, I'm very concerned about sort of other little aspects um, that, that we spent a lot of time thinking about when we were rolling out electronic medical records, and that is the ethics of this and the philosophy around um, understanding, you know, some of the, the risks inherent um, uh, around bias and hallucination and, and really building in protections so that um, a, a busy rounding physician that has a beautiful note sort of 
um, generated and now has to just quickly edit those notes, do they have the skills in place to quickly edit and not just switch over to the path of least resistance and, and just sign off on notes? Our, if anything, our history in um, looking at the use of electronic medical records and the prodigious use of copy forward and the potential challenges with regards to documentation that, that we've seen, um, that should be a warning to us as to, you know, we need to kind of really thoughtfully implement, and, and implement this and make sure that as we get closer to patient-facing applications of this technology, we also have governance structures, ethical structures, um, in place to make sure that those patients are protected. So those are the, that's kind of a, a duality of, of excitement and caution that I have with regards to large language models. That's great to hear. And, and you know, definitely an important, as you mentioned, duality or, or important perspective to have um, to make sure that we are avoiding those pitfalls you mentioned, and especially around the ethics, the potential bias of some of these things, and, and certainly not bringing that into how we're thinking about and delivering healthcare in the future. Well said, yeah. And speaking about the future, I'm wondering, you know, Dr. Matthews, what will the most effective healthcare leaders need in order to be successful in the next two to three years or so? Oh, I love that question. And, you know, my area of interest really in this space around leadership actually has to do with um, understanding what hospitals and health systems need to do to train uh, future uh, physician and APP leaders, especially in the midst of this silent epidemic of compassion fatigue and burnout that we're seeing. I think we're in, the, in this post-pandemic space I think we're all still grappling with the generational trauma that was COVID. Um, and, and I think people are only now coming to terms with a sense of, um, you know, is this really for me in healthcare? And um, I, I, that, that to me is one of the greatest sadnesses of, of our generation. And so I honestly believe that our work as healthcare leaders is to, identify those docs that are docs and APPs and, and members of the healthcare team that that may be at their wits end or suffering in silence and and have those earnest conversations around uh, meaning and purpose. I, I subscribe to the to the to the belief that um, the cure to burnout is in fact meaning and purpose. And I think that we as healthcare leaders, our work is to help facilitate those conversations around what is it that that drives meaning and purpose in the lives of our healthcare teams. Um, just as a, so to, to avoid speaking in generalities, um, I'm writing a series of essays around the notion of uh, rekindling a sense of love and uh, and purpose in healthcare. And fascinatingly, it has a lot to do with. Um, uh, the humanities and recognizing that, you know, in this ultra specialized world of, of modern healthcare, corporate modern healthcare that we live in, it can be so very easy for us to just, just take on that persona of the, you know, uh, of the, the employee that comes in and, uh, you know, our role is that of the physician or the APP or the nurse or the member of the healthcare team that we fit into that role. 
when in fact um, the beauty of humanity is that we are all complex, multi-layered, emotional entities that uh, that are are you know that have good days and bad days, that that are inspired by moments of great art, and um, so, and 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 drawn to things like crafts and uh, and technical things with our hands and um, and or writing poetry. And I genuinely believe that having those types of conversations to understand each individual of the healthcare team on their core as to what really drives them, and then challenging them to build into their calendar. So we all talk about self-care, and you know this often translates into seminars about self-care and then um, acupuncture, and not to minimize any of that or and or massage therapy, but I genuinely believe that. Each of us has our own unique sort of thing that we are super passionate about. And the litmus test for that is, do you have a thing that you would wake up at four in the morning um, and absolutely just work on for free? Um, and if that's the thing that you have, you know, are you, are you spending enough time on your time out of work to nurture that flame and that passion? And then the final essay is really about, what piece of that passion can you actually bring back to work and and integrate into your your day-to-day into your team's work that actually creates this unique culture of something that only you can bring back to work and and so that closed loop sort of meaning and purpose flywheel um, is something that really fascinates me and uh, I very much we're trying to build um, that type of culture um, here in the in the in the few domains that I have some influence in. So so I think if we address this epidemic of compassion fatigue, then we create the next generation of healthcare leaders that are resilient and actually ready to manage the the challenges and the exciting possibilities associated with the next generation of technology. That, that our patients will need us to navigate so that they can have the best possible healthcare experience. So I, I know that's kind of long-winded, my apologies, but that, <laughs> I definitely feel strongly about that space. I love that. Dr. Matthews, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and interesting conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Hey, you're so very welcome. I really enjoyed the chance to share. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.